Welcome to Quark Methods Podcast, where we discuss interesting methodological developments in applied qualitative health research. I am Nora Vera San Juan, a member of Quark and a research associate at the Mental Health Policy Research Unit, or MHPRU for short. In this episode, we will talk about young people involvement in research, using as a case example a project about screen use and adolescent mental health that we have completed at MHPRU in collaboration with our colleagues from McPin Foundation and Center for Mental Health. This project consisted in a three-step consultation to identify the top research priorities about screen use and adolescent mental health from the perspective of young people, parents, and teachers. And the young people contributed to all of the steps of the research, including recruitment, data collection, and interpretations of the findings. So it was a lot of work that we completed together, um, and I'm eager for everyone to hear about how we made it happen and how they can involve young people in their research too. In this episode, we're joined by Rachel and Neve. Hi there, I'm Rachel. Um, I work at the PIN Foundation. We're all about involving people with lived experience of mental health issues in the research process with the idea that it improves research quality. Welcome. And Neve. Hi, I'm Neve, and I'm a member of the McPins YPAG, which is the Young People's Advisory Group. Um, and we draw on our lived experiences to help guide and advise researchers on the research that they're going to carry out. Thank you very much for joining us. So before we start, could you just tell us a little bit what the Young People's Advisory Group is? In a nutshell, they are a group of 12 young people aged between 30 and 25 from across the country with various experiences and backgrounds, including mental health issues. They meet regularly to inform and advise on various research projects. So Rachel, would you like to tell me some of the challenges or gratifying experiences of collaborating with young people in research? I think going back, I guess, before COVID, there are so many factors that you need to take into consideration when, you know, funding for young people's involvement work in mental health research, you know, you're thinking about paying young people for their actual time and input and um, on top of that paying for young people's travel to various meetings because I guess the main way in which we generally speaking carry out involvement work is through having these meetings and you've got to take into account those kind of costs the cost of those meetings meeting venue as I say travel costs and catering all of that kind of stuff it all adds up right and um, on top of that, if you want to do higher quality involvement work, you've got the kind of ad hoc work in between meetings because involvement work should just, shouldn't just be in those meetings. It should go above and beyond. And, um, you know, things like young people being able to be updated regularly throughout the course of the project and providing input on all kinds of activities, whether it's actually carrying out the research itself as well. All of this stuff, it all adds up basically. And I guess what we've seen is that we always do inevitably have a struggle in that area, making sure that we have enough funding in place. It's tricky. Yes, I, I remember for, for this project, for the Screen News project, there was a lot of work behind the meetings to have to prepare the materials and to give people enough time to really check them. And I remember a lot of sending people documents, like the topic guides we used for data collection so that the young people would really 
go through them and they gave great feedback on how we could adapt it for the younger participants particularly. Yeah, something else to add to that, I think one of the major areas in which we do struggle, we see little to no funding is involving young people before the research has even begun, right? So actually drafting and putting together a research proposal. Nine times out of 10, there is little to no funding for that area. And it's so important because that's actually designing the research, you know, and putting the research ideas together and, you know, ensuring that there's funding in place for that is is so important. Of course. And uh, gratifying experiences? I think some of the major gratifying experiences, and there's been many, like, I love what I do, (laughs) um, is, is seeing how hearing and seeing how young people grow and develop in these roles. And I mean, I'm sure Neve will tell you, Neve is a prime example of someone who's worked with us for a couple of years now, um, maybe even more than that. We we have so much going on at McPin, different projects and things like that. And when we first hear from somebody, this might be, you know, invo- involvement in mental health research is a completely new area for them. And they're looking to learn some new skills, but they're not quite confident. But over time, what we see is them really grow in the role and perhaps they get involved with us in one project. They then down the line choose to get involved with another project and then another project, which shows to us that they're enjoying what they're doing. You know, they're getting something out of it and having conversations with them and just hearing about how being involved in these projects, you know, and drawing from lived experience, something that's been so awful in their life you know experiencing mental health issues a really dark period of time in their life and being able to put that to something positive can be a really liberating feeling for them it's really it's really empowering for them and it's really empowering for us wonderful and me would you like to share some of your experiences being a, a peer researcher um, yeah, of course. So one of my greatest challenges of, of being part of the Young People's Advisory Group is that I often found, especially at the start, that a lot of people that would come to lead the research, it was like they were just talking to us out of having to tick a box, like we have to talk to young people. So we've done it now. We've not really listened to what they've said. We can tick the box. We've spoken to them and, and we can move on. And at first, that, that's what I had I had come across a few meetings where it had been a bit like that. But actually, as as the couple of years have gone on, it's become less and less like that and it's become a much more gratifying experience. And I think the turning point for me, um, I was at a big meeting in Birmingham um, and it was the Developing Minds Funding Programme and it was led by the Medical Research Council. And I was sat at a big table and I walked in at first and I thought, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm this little old me with all these academics and and these really important people, and then there's me. I was sat at a table, and me and another young person shared our point of view and our experiences and something. And they all sat there and listened and wrote notes and asked questions about it. And then they went up and they summarised what we'd said. And that was the first time, and it was it was so gratifying that they'd listened and they'd taken aboard what we'd said and they'd used it. And then especially when you're part of a project from the start to the end, and you can see where what you've said has impacted the research and helped to lead it, that's when it becomes, it for me, it's such a, a gratifying experience. Wow. I mean, you guys are involved in so much work. I remember when I first met the the YPAG and I, I heard about all the projects that you were doing and how you really make a difference. I was so impressed. 
So should we talk about, well, you've mentioned a little bit about the necessary conditions for a successful collaboration. Rachel, you had mentioned the, the funding factor, but would you like to tell us a bit more about what works and what doesn't? What do you think makes a successful collaboration with young people? As well as the issue of, I guess, not having adequate funding in place, another tricky issue that we, we've, we've struggled with in the past is when there's not, I guess, adequate planning in place to ensure that, okay, we've got this project, guys. Um, this is the timeline for this project. Let's map out exactly where and when young people can have input. That has really, really helped things and ensure that each meeting that we hold and each involvement activity is as meaningful as it can be. And how do you do that with the young people? So at that planning stage, does it usually happen with the partner, uh, with the people that you're doing the collaboration with? Or do you usually want to include young people in that conversation? How, what do you consider for that planning? In an ideal world, we involve the young people and we'll ask them, okay, guys, before we've even got this research project together, at which stages do you think, you know, you could really provide an input here? And what could you do, you know, whether it's something to do with dissemination, um, whether it's co-delivering interviews, whether it's shaping information sheets and consent forms for interviews, all these kinds of things. And if you've got a plan in place and you've sat down and discussed that with the young people and the project partners, it's going to be a more high quality plan, I think. Great. And Neve, for you as a young person that's trying to be involved in research, what are some kind of barriers that you think make it difficult for you to participate or what what works for you as a young person? I think for me, um, the main thing about when you, you go in a meeting with like researchers is being made to feel comfortable. And if you don't feel comfortable, then you won't you won't talk. Um, especially because we're being asked to talk about such a vulnerable time in our lives and such, and you're drawing on experiences from such a dark place that if you don't feel comfortable in the environment that you're being asked the questions and asked to share these times with, then you're not going to open up and they won't receive a true reflection of what you want to say and what they want to get from you. Um, so for me, like a big barrier would be if the researcher came in and they didn't build up a rapport immediately. And I think people underestimate a rapport and a, a connection you can build up even within the first five minutes of meeting someone. Um, like they walk, they, then the, a good a good researcher would walk in and they would be chatty, they'd be open to talk to you. And immediately I can pick up on, I can pick up on that and I can feel comfortable with talking to that person. Whereas if that, if that researcher came in and they were quite closed, um, and they kept themselves to themselves, then I would feel less comfortable. So it's, it's that building of the rapport and making you feel comfortable to talk in that environment. And especially like with you, Nora, like we saw you so often in different meetings and at different times that we'd all built up that rapport and that connection with you. So we all felt comfortable to talk to you and share our experiences and how we felt at, at certain times. Um, and if we, maybe if we hadn't seen you as such or you hadn't been so so nice just even just being nice and, and nice to talk to that maybe you wouldn't have got the work from us or, or the perspective from us that you perhaps wanted thank you very much that, that's really wonderful to to hear because that was the whole idea of things and I mean it was um thanks to a lot of Rachel's tips and experiences on I was very happy how we got to 
includes uh, your input a lot in the methods part that I think that's sometimes a challenge because there's so much terminology and I think it can get a bit complicated sometimes for young people to follow just the lingo of things when really it's stuff that can be explained in lay terms and it can really allow for everyone to have input at all stages but that's wonderful to hear thank you should we talk about maybe some examples of topics or projects that you have uh, collaborated in? Would you like to share, Neve, uh, maybe projects that have made a, a difference for you? And my my favourite project that I've been a part of so far is the audio tour at the National Gallery. So it was a mental health MythBuster tour, and we had to go to National Gallery um, and walk around the gallery looking at pieces of art. Then we'd all come back together in the meeting room and we'd discuss how the art made us feel and how it linked to our experiences. And there was quite a few of us all, all sharing that. And then that turned into an audio tour. And then the it was like the release day and we all went to the National Gallery and hearing my voice on this tour, I just couldn't believe it. Um, and I think that was that's been my favourite time to date where I've I've used something I've gone through that was a terrible time to help others and use it for a good reason. Um, and that, that for me, that, that audio tour project was just, that's when I think it really dawned on me that you can use a bad time for good reasons. Wow. I mean, that sounds incredible. That is really, I guess, the, the highest uh, form of really having impact um, in real life settings, like you, your input really showing. Um, that sounds very, very exciting. Rachel, do you have any projects that you um, remember fondly or that you particularly think were uh, young people made a key difference in the project? I was just going to say I had a bit more to talk about with the necessary conditions for a successful collaboration. Oh, yes, of course. So this is something that McPin have been thinking really carefully about recently. What we're trying to do is put together various resources, showcase kind of things that you should think about when collaborating with young people for researchers. And we've done quite a lot of work with the YPAG, and Eve, you've been quite involved with it, conversations about what are the top tips we want to share with researchers when collaborating with young people. And I suppose our main focus has been meetings, mostly because currently that's the main way in which McPin facilitate involvement of young people in mental health research, although we do have other means of uh, involving young people we're working on putting together some digital platforms but that's another topic for another day but what we've come to realize with the help of the wirepag about various tips is accessibility of those meetings for young people and i think a big part of that is ensuring that when young people turn up to those meetings they feel adequately prepared they're not just put on the spot you know they know exactly what we're going to be discussing in that meeting they've had a detailed agenda in advance with ample time prior to that meeting to have a look at key questions that might pop up in that meeting. So if they wanted to do some prep beforehand, they can. Um, I know personally, I'm not someone who thrives in, in meetings and what I tend to do as in my role as a young facilitator, I suppose, is draw from my own lived experience of social anxiety and knowing, reflecting on my experiences of meetings, how what helps me to thrive in, in those 
environments, what helps me to contribute. Um, another way in which we'll try to make young people feel comfortable in those meetings is have smaller group work tasks. So it's not just going around the room and asking for, you know, putting everybody on the spot and asking for their, their thoughts and contributions that way. Um, people can speak up in their smaller groups and perhaps peers they feel more comfortable with. And they can also jot things down and give us some ideas after that meeting. All these kind of factors, I think, can, can make a big difference. Another thing that we try to do, as Neve pointed out, is invite project partners to those meetings. And I think Nora, like Neve said, was a classic example involving you in that process. And the YPAG being so familiar with you really helped make that environment feel safe and comfortable. And I guess another important factor is making it engaging as well. I don't know, Neve, if you had a bit more to say about how we try to go about that, whether or not we're successful, you might have a bit more of an opinion. Um, yeah, that's a key thing of making it is making it engaging because we're we are at such different ages as well, and we're all going through such different parts of of our lives. So I'm a, I'm a newly qualified teacher, so I'm at a very different stage in my life to someone who's just completing their GCSEs or or whatever someone's situation is at that time. What they do is, although we do have whole group discussions where the whole room will will be part of a discussion. We also go off into small groups and we do like massive spider like diagrams and things like that where we can all have a little little discussions and then we have like breaks and things like that. So you don't constantly have to keep your attention on the ball. You're interested in what someone's saying. And the good thing with Rachel as well is where Rachel has built up such a familiarity with all of us, you have, she has like, a bit of a laugh with us. And again, that keeps you interested and engaged. And that, that for me is such a key thing because I do struggle with my concentration half the time. Um, and so to be engaged is, is so important throughout these meetings. Yeah, because it is worth saying that uh, one thing to keep in mind is that this is not the only thing that young people are doing. So you, you have lives and you're studying and working and uh, it will be very important to motivate you to participate and to um keep concentrated in the task that you're that you're doing after having done many things throughout the the day have things changed a lot in in the current context like what has been the is there advantages or disadvantages to being able to set up things on zoom yeah it's definitely been different it was something that took quite a lot of getting used to um, but because I'm teaching as well, I have to teach over Google Classroom now. So I'm I'm more and more used to recording myself talk and teach and using screens. It's become much easier than it, it first was a year ago. Um, but the good thing about it is that some of the, like a lot of us aren't necessarily near London. For me, I am. It takes me 15 minutes by train to get to central London. But a lot of the YPAG aren't. So to be able to just in the comfort of your own home and log on to Zoom and not have to worry about getting up to London and, and being there and then coming home and, and all of that is, is quite nice and it makes that one potential problem a lot easier and a lot better. And also the good thing with Zoom is, is that you can just turn your screen off if, if you're talking about a hard topic or something that's a bit, a bit triggering for you. You can just turn your screen off and, and go and get a glass of water, whereas you can't really do that in person. It'd be lovely if you could just turn turn your face off for five minutes 
you'd have to walk out of the room, which again causes a bit of a scene because then everyone's aware that, oh, she's upset or whatever the situation is. So I think in that instance, Zoom has been a lot, a lot better, but in nothing beats being with actual people in a meeting room and having that bouncing off of each other, that, that chat, whereas sometimes on Zoom, I think you don't pick up on social cues, you, you talk over someone by accident and then it becomes quite awkward. And I think nothing beats being in a room with, with other people. That is so interesting to, to hear those reflections. I do remember that in, when I attended YPAC meetings, there was a lot of bonding as well between the, the young people. So I imagine it's difficult to, to have that over Zoom as well. So to, to be able to have those chats in between work and, and so on. I guess we miss it at the office too. So, so yes, can definitely relate to that. And if we could go back to uh, research projects that you think that uh, participation of young people made a key difference. Uh, Rachel, you were going to share an example with us before about this? So I wouldn't be doing it justice if I didn't talk about the Right People, Right Questions project was all about working with young people, their parents and guardians, teachers and mental health professionals to identify which top 10 unanswered questions about children and young people's mental health should be answered by research. And that was the first, well, first research project altogether that I did when I first joined McPin back in 2017. And I really do feel that that was a good example of when young people's input has made a solid difference to the project. That's actually how the young people's involvement work kind of all came together at McPin, actually, because that's when we first put together the young people's advisory group, which Neve now sits on, um, which has inspired a bunch of other amazing cool projects as well and the young people's network. But what was what worked really well about that project was we formed this advisory group of young people of across the country with various experiences and backgrounds. And they were truly, I feel, involved throughout the whole course of the project. But they also, they were told from the get-go that every decision aspect of the project involved them at the centre. So to give you some examples, I suppose, when we first put together the, the survey, so we put out a survey and we asked the public, the general public, okay, which questions about children and young people's mental health does research need to answer and people just submitted open questions we got as you can imagine thousands of questions back and the young people's advisory group the YPAG were at the center of that helping us go through people's answers put them into relevant themes so you know we had questions on interventions and services questions on causes of you know different mental health problems putting these into relevant themes and categories and then the YPAD were actually, it was their decision about which theme should, should we take forward. They actually chose that, you know, they decided that we should take the theme of interventions and services forward, which is a crucial decision, right? Um, a part of the project. So that's kind of one of the examples of, of how, how important they were. Um, but I guess throughout the whole course of the project, you know, they, they designed the logo, they put together the recruitment video for the, for the, for the project. They would attend, so two members of the YPAG would attend every steering group that we held. So the steering groups would have various other stakeholders, part important stakeholders as part of the project. And 
there would always need to be two YPAG members present on that steering group who would then be involved in any decisions made about that project and steering and steering the project. They were involved in the actual research analysis stage. So they actually, once we had our theme, you know, our, our chosen theme, they then further helped us to group questions that were submitted um, and they helped us put the surveys together all these various ways that I could just go on and on about how they were embedded throughout the project, um, which was just a really nice, nice thing to see from the beginning to the end. I, I see a lot of the things that you mentioned are things that uh, I see how later you've been, uh, you've continued to put that in practice in other projects, because that's how we did it in the screen time, uh, in the screen use and adolescent mental health project as well. So I see how all those learnings have been passed on from, from project to project. And I was just thinking, as you were mentioning that, of moments that I think in uh, in the screen use project, it was, it really, I really kind of saw how the young people's input made a difference. Because especially one thing that came up was, so normally projects about screen use are really about screen time. So it's kind of quantity of how much time we, we spend. And as researchers, just because that's what other researchers look into. So then the project was actually called Screen Time in Adolescent Mental Health. And I remember at one YPAC meeting, people saying, well, but is this about time or is this about the use? And it really got us thinking, oh, uh, well, yes, maybe actually we should change the name of the project and the focus. And it was only later on that we saw when I say we, I mean the researchers saw that it was actually a topic within research of people saying we shouldn't be just looking at screen time, it should be screen use and, and looking. So if the YPAC hadn't brought it up as researchers, you know, we we're just uh, repeating what everybody else had been had been doing before. So that and kind of pointing to the importance of looking at the positive side of screen use as well. Because in, in mental health and just in health in general, we tend to focus more on risks and, you know, what, what can be bad for you, what might uh, do you harm. Whereas the young people, because they're big screen users and, you know, they see the positive side of it as well, they really wanted that to be a part of the results and that we kept it in mind. So I think that made a huge difference in the results that we, that we had and, and how we reported things. So, so yeah, just kind of thought that I would share a bit of the um, part of the researcher's side of how that was really a massive input. And I wanted to ask you uh, if you had any considerations around the the young people and screen use project that we did together. So you've mentioned some some things before, but was there anything kind of different about this project? Was there anything that you think uh, worked particularly well or not? Um, I think for me, it was being a, like I've never been to a meeting outside of the Pin Foundation where they where they are based. That's where all my, my meetings have ever been. And then the screen use project meant that I I could venture out of there. And I, one of the meetings I went to was at the Anna Freud. Yes, I remember. And yeah, and it was such a nice experience to be in a meeting which is in in a place where such important decisions are made about mental health 
um, and being with a, a different bunch of people from like I think there was like someone from the Maudsley there and different like professionals academics and, and it was such a lovely environment to be a part of that although I love being at the McPin where you're based it was nice to be somewhere a bit different and to change it up a bit and, and to meet new people in a, in a different place. Lovely. Rachel, do you, do you have anything uh, that you remember particularly apart from all, all the suffering once lockdown came into place? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think the Screen Time Project is probably one of the best examples of any of the young people's projects that I've worked on where we've really, really utilise the, the various skills and interests of the YPAD group. And I think a lot of that is down, I guess, to, like Neve said, getting to know the group and knowing what they are really interested in doing and what sort of skills they would like to develop and that kind of thing. And one of the ways in which we've done this, Nora, as you know, we've been working closely with some of the YPAD members in the dissemination aspect of the project. For example, we know that someone in the group is really into designing and has skills in graphics. So they've been, they've been really helpful in producing graphics for when we were sharing the survey and they're supporting the infographic design right now. And it's been really lovely to be able to offer that because they've really been enjoying the experience and it's skills that they can take away for the future. You know, this is stuff for the CV and, and future careers and, and this kind of thing. And things like paper writing involving young people in the paper writing process. So I definitely think the Screen News Project has been one of the best examples of, I guess, the pro one of the projects I've worked on throughout McPin in involving young people in, I suppose, more leadership-based roles and, and giving them more, more of, yeah, more of a leading role in, in designing these things and Yes, it's been lovely to see people showcasing their abilities because obviously there's so many talented young people and uh, the fact that you give them the space to to say what they're good at and then that we could give them a space within the project to show off, um, then that's been really, really great experience from our side as well to see what they come up with and, and being able to, to share that with everyone. And speaking about the the future, what would you like for the future of young people involvement in research? For me, it would be to see a greater education to academics and researchers on how to work with young people. I know Rachel was saying that McPin have are creating and are releasing a a ten point that program as, as such and on how to work with young people, and I think that is such an important thing to be done um, and as I said before across the two years I've worked at McPin that there is a, a been a key difference with how we've been spoken to and treated and worked with um, and I think that is a relationship that can get stronger and stronger if there's education put in place on how it can be developed and how it can work and the best ways to work with young people and so for the future that is something that I would like to see that greater relationship between researchers and and the young people that are taking part in the research. 
Definitely. Uh, later we can share the, the details for people to contact MacPin and to keep an eye out for those top tips on how to involve young people. Rachel, did, did you want to mention how you see the, the future of involving young people? Uh, I hope you'll continue working in this field as well. Absolutely. I, I love this job. I love what I do. Um, and it's, I think for me, one wish in the future is just to be able to, to keep trying to give back to young people. They give so much, as Neva's pointed out, you know, what we ask of young people in these involvement roles isn't always easy. Some of the topics that we're discussing, they are, they are difficult and they are personal. And that does take up a lot of emotional space. And to be able to give back in some way to the people that we work with, whether it's various skills, more leadership opportunities, like I just described, would just be so rewarding, I think. Um, and it's kind of the driving force of what keeps me doing what I'm doing right now and why I love this job so much. Um, but I guess to be able to, to allow for all of that, more funding for young people's involvement in research, really, that's definitely my biggest wish. Um, so we can create more opportunities like this and provide young people with skills and opportunities like this as much as possible. Yes, well, one thing that I, I love of the fact that, uh, you know, we have completed, for example, this project of screen use in less and mental health is that it's it's proof that it, it can happen. It works great. And hopefully we'll encourage other people to, to do it as well. And um, I love that for young researchers like me or for early career researchers, because from the start of our career, we experience this. It just feels like something that's just normal. Like it should be like this every time. So I hope that we're kind of a, a new generation of um, researchers that does collaborative work and that really involves stakeholders, not just young people, but, you know, all kinds of stakeholders in research. Um, so thank you very much, Rachel and Neve, for teaching us so much about collaborating with young people in research. Um, would you like to tell people where they can find MacPin on social media or if they would like to get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah. So you can, if you want to hear more about MacPin, you can go to MacPin.org. Um, and then specifically, if you're interested in the MacPin Young People's Network, we're actually on Twitter and recently on Instagram. <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> um, it's just up and running. But to find us, I think our handle for that is... It's the same for Twitter and Instagram. It's McPinYP Network. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And thank you for all the Quark Methods podcast listeners. And help us spread the word about involving young people in research, which has been the topic of our podcast today. So do share this podcast so that more people will sign up for this. And we hope that everyone will learn from this and will be encouraged to include young people in their own studies. And it's never too late. So even if you haven't planned for this from the start, which, as Rachel mentioned, earlier it would be ideal but you know there's always time to make room for young people's contributions